propositional truths, then we got them, right? And, and they're one of us. If we could just reason our way with them, right, so that they understand what we understand. That's not what sharing the gospel is. Paul is saying that part of Satan, it's part of his illegal influence on the creation, this invisible spiritual reality that we can't see with our eyes, but is true in spiritual places, is that he has exercised an influence on the minds and hearts of unbelievers so that no matter how fervently we preach, no matter how deceptive or tricky we might try to be, no matter how we try to reason with someone, they cannot see the truth. They're spiritually blind. There's a spiritual reality that is the backdrop of the unbelief of every unbeliever. And this was true for us too until God rescued us. And here's what happened. Verse 5. For what we preach, and listen, this could be a whole message on itself. It's just not what I'm preaching on today. But my goodness, you want a good verse on what it means to actually be a leader in the church of Jesus? I would say this is about as good as it gets. 2 Corinthians verse four, chapter 4, verse 5. For what we preach is not ourselves, preacher, church leader, uh, church with a logo and a marketing plan. What we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and where do we fit into it? And ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. That about sums up a lot of what we aspire to at the Gospel Tab. We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus and ourselves as servants for your sake. That's all that we are. That's all any church leader is. Verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Now he's quoting or remembering the creation story at the beginning of Genesis. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So here's what Paul is saying. We don't preach ourselves. We're not trying to deceive people to become part of our church or part of our brand or something. We instead preach Jesus in our lives, in the way that we conduct ourselves, in our relationships. We preach Jesus. That's all our part is, is to let the world see Jesus. And then what happens from there? The same God who spoke into nothing and created light. Is that something that I could do? Is that something that you could do? There's only one person in the universe who has the ability to create something out of nothing. And it is God himself, right? The same God who said, let there be light. And there was light who by the power of his word in divine love created light is the same God who has caused light to shine into our hearts. So that before, where there was only darkness, and we were not able to identify Jesus rightly, we were not able to see the good news, we were not able to come under his lordship, we were not able to understand his claims about himself. The same God who created light out of darkness creates light in us so that we're able to see 
for the first time. And friends, you know what it's like because for many of you, light shone in your heart too. And some of you can remember the day when all of a sudden it's like the lights came on. And, and you know, some of you know, it wasn't like you had never heard the name of Jesus before. It's not like you had never been to church before. It's not like, you know, you hadn't been around religion before. I mean, that may have been your story. Maybe you were around nothing. And then all of a sudden, like, it all clicked. But some of us had had some exposure to the gospel. But either we weren't paying attention, or we just didn't believe, or it didn't make sense to us, or we had misconceptions. The God of this age was using all of that to blind our minds until the same God who spoke light into the universe spoke light into our hearts. And there isn't one of us in here who has come to faith in Jesus Christ and been baptized in water who that is not a reality for. That this God, he's the only one that can do it, spoke light into our hearts. So how do we respond to that reality? We're in relationship with our unbelieving friends. Um, I, I shouldn't be deceptive. I shouldn't try to trick them into the gospel, right? Um, we're not trying to like, find a way to bait them into church, right? Um, so what does, what does that mean for us? Well, it means, this is, this is the response I have. It's just like, God, you have to do the part that only you can do. There's a big part of this story that only belongs to God. Not to us or our strategies or our plans. He does invite our cooperation and he loves to do it with us. But ultimately, this belongs to him. I love this because it means that as we share the gospel with our unbelieving friends, it is more mystery than it is science. It's more mystery than it is just some strategy. There's part of this that we will never fully understand. How God makes the lights come on someone. What that creates in me is this desire to say to God, God, you got to do it. God, you got to do it. You have to create this. You have to turn the lights on. You have to be the one to make somebody see something that I wasn't able to see, to make someone see something that they weren't able to see before. Is what I'm saying making sense to you today? And I hope that this both releases some pressure off of you and also creates some hunger for prayer. And I, I just want to say a few things about that, about just hunger for prayer. Friends, it is true that today on the earth, all, all throughout history, you've heard me say this up here a lot of times before, but we are living in such interesting days of the church who is the fullness of Jesus filling all things on the earth. And largely what that looks like in the time in which we live are these decentralized movements popping up and ordinary Christians filling up their spaces, their homes, their neighborhoods, their their hobbies, they're with the fullness of Jesus. We're seeing that in an unprecedented time, a level in, in the days in which we live. Just the church of Jesus filling us. We're in the middle of the greatest revival that the world has ever seen. More people coming to faith in Jesus in the last couple decades than all previous 2,000 years of church history. Um, and here's what you should know about that, and I think I've said it before, there isn't one of those movements, there isn't a mission movement on the earth today or throughout history that is not first a movement of contending, prevailing prayer. That is not first a movement that says, God, God who turned the lights on in the universe, 
Would you turn the lights on in this neighborhood? Would you turn the lights on in my friend? Would you turn the lights on in my family? There isn't one movement today that is not first that. You know what's so interesting? And I'll qualify what I'm saying here in a second. Here at the Gospel Tab, it really is our intent to saturate everything with prayer and the Word of God. It's our intent when we gather together to saturate these times with prayer and the Word of God. And yet, this is very interesting, and I'll qualify what I'm about to say. There are lots of movements on the earth today that were movements of the Word, but did not reach the lost. It's, it's really interesting. If you think about it, there, are, there were whole periods of Christian history, and this is not something we should celebrate, something we should grieve, where this was not accessible to the average Christian. People were baptized in water and buried in Christ and never held one of these in their hands. We're completely dependent on clergy. I'm not defending this at all. I'm really glad, right? It's super significant that we have this in our hands and on our phones. Um, but there were whole periods of Christian history. You're talking about God just getting his stuff done without us. Whole periods of Christian history where the vast majority of the church had no access to this. Even today, two of the fastest growing global churches on the face of the earth, the church in China, which we can only estimate how many millions and millions of people have come to faith in China in, under persecution and the threat of being jailed and all this kind of stuff. Um, I was in a prayer gathering a few years ago where one of the leaders of the major church networks in China was there. Just millions of people have come to faith through this. Nobody knows this guy. We weren't allowed to take pictures of him. He can't speak at conferences and stuff like that because his life is on the line, right? Today, they think one of the fastest growing churches on the face of the earth today is actually in Iran of all places. We can only estimate, but the reports coming out of Iran is that the church is explode, exploding. And much of these churches that are getting planted are just these little house gatherings led by men and women in Iran. A lot of those house gatherings led by women in Iran. Amazing what's happening. And both of those movements, it's interesting, have at times struggled to get this in their hands. Now, there's been organizations in the United States and in Europe that have tried to smuggle these into them, right, into those nations, because we think it's so important that the word of God be accessible to the people of God. And yet, there have been these whole seasons where God's people didn't have access to this. But you will find movements, even viral movements that are reaching the lost in some of the worst places on earth, hardest places on earth. You will find movements like that that do not have access to the scriptures. But you will not find one movement that is not first a movement of prayer and fasting. There are movements that have this book and no one's coming to faith. And I'm not saying that to diminish this at all. I hope you hear me. I'm just saying it to put an exclamation point on how important it is that we be a praying people. Why? Because we can't trick people into the kingdom, friends. Because we can't just bait them to our church. Because we can't just sell them our brand. That's not what we're doing. We're saying, God, we need you to shine light where there was darkness. My neighbor doesn't see it. 
We need you to open their mind. We're praying not just for better strategies or something. We're praying for the defeat of the devil. We're praying for the triumph of God over spiritual wickedness, right? That's the part, like, that God can do. And so all of these movements are first movements of people who open up their hearts to God and say, God, we need you to do what only you can do. And when I say that, while we're talking about, like, scheming and deceit and all this stuff, if I can just make this point, too. Some of our mentors in prayer used this language a long time ago, and I think it's helpful today. What we're not talking about is what we would call witchcraft praying. And that sounds strange, but let me just define for you. Witchcraft at its basic, in its basic form, however it manifests, is about control and manipulation. So if you kind of think about the caricature or the stereotype of what someone might do who's involved in witchcraft, uh, they're saying spells and they're mixing things. For what purpose? to control another person, to hurt them, or to help them. You know, some witches see themselves that way as trying to help people, but it's still at its basic form, control and manipulation. The spirit of witchcraft in its most basic essence manifests when I think I have to control you. And some of us were raised in families, were witchcraft, that spirit of witchcraft. No one had to say a spell or anything like that. You know what I'm talking about. The spirit of witchcraft was really what governed the relationships in the family because it means broken in our lives because it had to do with control and manipulation. Well, when we pray for our unbelieving friends, we are not chanting spells. We're not trying to get them to be what we want them to be. Um, we are not coming together uh, for a seance. We're not coming together to conduct witchcraft and hope that we can say things with the right, in the right way and with the right fervency so that people might be controlled to a good end. We're not just good witches, friends. God has called us to something different. St. Augustine said this, that all, if it's not witchcraft, then what is prayer? St. Augustine said this, that all true prayer is love. All true prayer doesn't have to do with manipulating. For me, even towards good ends, trying to take dignity from you by trying to control or manipulate you. Um, I'll have to tell you that all over America, or maybe I do have to tell you, if you don't have a lot of experience with the church, but if you have experience with the church, I'll have to tell you that all across America, there are churches that have prayer meetings every week with a list of unbelievers that they're praying for, and it's like there's never breakthrough. And listen, it's really none of my business, and I can't judge it because sometimes God calls us to pray for years before there's breakthrough. And yet sometimes I think that those prayer meetings have more to do with witchcraft than with love. Not with trying to give people choices. Not with the lights coming on, but with trying to turn people into what we want them to be. And it's almost like the closer the person is to us, I think this is sometimes why like, we have so much trouble praying for our unbelieving family members, and, and I've been there too. It's like the closer they are to us, the harder it is for us to not do witchcraft with them, right? Because we're just all emotionally wrapped up in them. So we just want something good to happen. So we pray these fervent prayers, but it's never love. Love for the person and love for God, which would, which would dignify their choices, right? 
which would give them freedom. That there's something that happens when people begin to pray in love. I remember one time I was ministering at a church with a friend. Um, I think I've shared this story maybe once before, but I was ministering at a church with a friend internationally, and this church had basically lost the next generation. So almost the whole church was the same age. Um, they were all like early retirees, and they had pretty much lost all their kids um, to, from the faith. Like none of them were following Jesus. And every day, this church, I'm sorry, not every day, every Sunday, this church would gather, small church, would gather an hour before the service to pray. Can you imagine that? Like showing up an hour early before church to pray for the prayer meeting before church. You get what I'm saying? So you're like really hungry by the end of church, right? So we showed up for this like prayer meeting um, before the service, and one at a time, people stood up and prayed these like long prayers. You know what I'm saying? Like super long prayers. And they were getting translated for me, but almost everybody was praying for their kids. And this was the burden that was on their hearts. Uh, they were praying for their kids who had been lost and all this stuff. And yet, you could tell there was no faith in the room that God would actually do anything. Um, it's like they were just like saying, they, they just got together. I admire the discipline, but they got together like every Sunday and just prayed this. You could hear in the way they talked the despair and the defeat. And you could tell, because we've all done it, if you've parented or grandparented or whatever, we've all done it, the temptation to want to control your kids, right? And you could feel that in them, this desire through prayer to control their kids. I'm not going to share the story of how it happened, but over a three-day time period, we saw God shift something in that gathering, and tears began to flow. It's like they hadn't wept over their kids in a long time because they felt more anger than love. They felt more frustration than concern, right? But God softened their hearts, and they began to weep. And, and by the end, we were, we were still crying out to God for their kids, that God would reverse this, that God, God, you have to do something. You have to turn on the lights. Even as parents, illusion is a control. We can't, a, a control is an illusion. We can't do anything unless you show up. We can't do anything unless you speak. We need you to do the part that we can't do, but you could feel love fill, fill the room. And once love fills the room, faith will fill the room. Perseverance will fill the room. God's spirit, right, will begin to cultivate those things in us again. And just something like really uh, practical with that uh, that's been helpful for me in getting in touch with the heart of God in prayer has just been praying his word over my unbelieving family members and unbelieving friends. One of the ways, and listen, even this, it's in the heart. We can't use this as just some kind of like a spell book, right? Like just say these words and someone's going to come to faith in Christ. That's not what this is. But these, this is God's heart. And, and God is expressing what he's like in this story. And so I find that when I read these words over my unbelieving friends and pray them, that something shifts in me. Um, I am more likely to be filled with the love of God for this person. Um, it's more likely that 
uh, God will put me in touch with his heart for this person. And it's not about controlling them. It's just about asking God to do the part that only he can do. So this verse here, the God of this age is blind to the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light, is a verse I pray all the time over my friends who are unbelievers. I'm just telling God what he said. I'm like, God, they're blinded. They're not going to be able to see. You said it in your word. I didn't say it. You said it in your word. So I'm asking you to show up and to turn the lights on. You are the God who spoke into darkness and said, let there be light. So I'm asking you to do that same thing again for my friends, right? And God shifts me from deceit and shameful practices and trying to control them to love, right? And it's in the context of love that he'll begin to draw people to himself. And this is how I'm going to close. As a matter of fact, friends, John, if you could play. Every movement of prayer, every movement of mission is a movement of love, And I just want to make an observation that I've seen here at the tab over the years. And then together, we're going to ask God to do something again. Um, I remember being in this room years and years ago. I don't know how long ago. And at the time, I could identify maybe like uh, two or three people who I was like, man, they are intercessors for the gospel tab and for our family on mission. This is a long time ago, towards the beginning of my time here. And I was like, they don't have an agenda. Uh, They're not trying to control me or the church. As a matter of fact, a lot of what they pray, I probably don't even know about because it's not about control. So they don't feel like they have to like share all that. You know how sometimes we try to like control each other by sharing what we're praying about? I could tell like that's not what, what these people were doing. They're just praying. And some of those prayers were like, God, you're the one who spoke light into the darkness and created something out of nothing, so certainly you can do something with this hurting historic church. Certainly you can do something with its little resources. If you created all of that out of nothing, then certainly you can take the little bit of something that's here at Crestmont Alliance Church at the time, and you can create life out of it. I was able to identify two or three people who I felt like, man, day in and day out, for years, even before I came on staff here, they were praying for that. And all of these people uh, were significantly older than me. Amazingly, two of them are still alive today. It's actually our two oldest members here at the Gospel Tab. You don't get to see them that much because health conditions prevent them from coming to the church but often. But both of them are in their 90s, and they're still praying for us. One went to go be with the Lord, also in her 90s, last year. By the way, talking about prayer being love, that person, I did her funeral last year. She used to be the organist here at the church. You know what she said to me in the year before she passed away? Um, She said, Joel, I sit down to talk to the Lord, and I just knew she was praying for unbelievers, and she's praying for global missions, and she's praying for our church. And she said, after praying for a decade, she's in her 90s, she said, Joel, sometimes I just sit down in my chair to pray, And all I do is laugh hysterically until my stomach hurts. That's all I can do. And that's my whole prayer time. That's a prayer, as strange as that sounds, that's a prayer life that has not become about guilt and manipulation and high pressure and control, right? Those things steal joy out of prayer. When prayer is about love, prayer times sometimes turn into just laughing. Why not, right? God is the author of joy. He's the one that gives us. So that's how she was praying as she was nearing the end 
of her life here on earth. And somehow even those laughs, that belly laughter was interceding for us, right? Um, she prayed for us today. I was praying for the network, everything that was happening in Aliquippa. But all of these people, even at the beginning, they were like in their late 70s. And so I was like, God, raise up more people who will pray. You know, like if we're going to see unbelievers come to faith, we need people who will pray in secret, who it's not about agenda, manipulation, and control. They're just going to pray. And, and not long after that, um, as we started to pray into this, one of the first waves of an experience that we've had here at the tab over the years started to happen. And, and here's what it was. People started to come to me one by one. Back then, we probably would have been less comfortable with this in the service. Now, it would be fine for it to happen in the service. But people started to come to me one by one, and they started to say, Joel, I am overwhelmed with tears for my unbelieving friends. Sometimes, or for a city, or for people I don't even know, or I'm praying for people in other nations, and I'm overwhelmed with tears. And I would say, well, what does it feel like? Does it feel good or bad? And they would say, it feels like compassion. I'm being overwhelmed with compassion. We're never going to like try to work something like that up, but sometimes God will give prayer that way. Some of you have experienced this. And, and what I've seen over the years at the tab is that we go through waves of this, that there's waves of kind of this crying, of this embracing of God's compassion for lost people. And those waves are almost always followed. I've seen this now for 15 years. Those waves are almost always followed by a whole new group of unbelievers coming to faith in Jesus. It's like God shares with us his compassion, we enter into it, and he answers his own compassion <laughs> with turning the lights on for people. And so this is just the point of my message today. I, I woke up this morning praying as the sun was coming up, as the sun that God spoke into existence was coming up, I just woke up saying, repeating a prayer I prayed all those years ago, God increase the intercessors among us. Um, this is not me saying, you should pray more. That's not what I'm saying. I actually, I can't make you pray more. Hopefully I'm renouncing deceptive schemes even in my preaching. I can't like twist your arm and make you pray more. What we can say is, God, make us pray more. You're the God of all compassion. You created this out of love. You created everything we see in each other out of your love. So God, give compassion again. And friends, in these days, when we've multiplied and embraced weakness, I'm asking that in these weak spaces, where we're not so full of ourselves and our success as a Gospel Tab family, I'm asking that God fills that space with his compassion. That a new wave of prayer overtakes us, that a new wave of crying out to God again for unbelievers overtakes us. And so here's what I would like to do. I'd like to pray that for you if you want that. If there's any kind of stirring happening in you. It's really why I preached this whole message was so that we could pray. And, and it's how we're going to end our time today. Um, I, don't, I don't understand this is a mystery in the kingdom of God, but somehow in the kingdom, you can give away what you have. And uh, years ago, I was thinking about this this morning. Um, years and years ago, a guy 
who had spent a lot of his time in really rough, like, street gangs. I mean, terrible violence. I met him at Bible college. I don't even know how he ended up at Bible college. I met him at Bible college. The light had come on somehow, and he had come to faith in Jesus. Amazing story. And I knew I I was probably going to spend a lot of time in, like, urban context doing ministry. And I met with him because I wanted to, like, learn something from him. He wasn't so interested in, like, I don't know, like, teaching me. He just wanted to pray something over me. This is years ago. I haven't thought about this in the longest. I'll never forget what he prayed. How many of you, like, lots of people pray for you in life. You don't remember everything they prayed for you, but I'll never forget this. Uh, He said, God, I pray that you would make Joel weak. I pray that you would make him weak. And that out of that weakness, that fruitfulness would flow. You know what's crazy? That was prayed over me. I was probably 19 years old. If I were to identify a theme that's probably emerged from my whole ministry, that's it right there. And it happened just because he prayed. It happened just because he gave what he had. He was used to trusting in guns and, I don't know, his ability to carry himself on the street or whatever. And it's like God just took all that away and made him weak, and he was able to give that away to me. So I do know that this compassion, this Whatever in prayer for unbelievers has been in me and in our family on mission for years. Um, Over the years, there's probably nothing I spend more time praying for. Um, I was thinking about this this morning as well. God, I don't know. It's just how I woke up. Um, I'll share more about this some other time. But friends, I was thinking about the people that I've had the opportunity to lead to the Lord in 15 years, who somehow the light went on. You know what's interesting about a lot of them? Is um, a lot of them have made really bad church members. I I used to be so self-conscious about this when I was younger because I cared more about what people thought about me. And so I used to think like, oh, this person came to Christ and then they start coming to church and they stopped coming to church and now like what are people going to think? And now I really don't care what you think. You know, Um, but here's what I know that somehow, and I think it's come out of this place in prayer, God has given a harvest that's largely been of these people who will never fit inside of our religious systems. As a matter of fact, they don't give a rip about what we're doing here this morning. But a lot of them still reach out to me years later and say, you introduced me to God. The lights went on. And somehow in their own, like, really messed up way, like they they didn't go through our partner class and become a voting member or anything like that, but somehow in their own way, they're following God. All of these people, when I think about them, I'm like, I know I'm going to see them in heaven. I know I'm going to be with them for all of eternity. And God has been so gracious to let me be part of bringing in this part of the harvest that absolutely does not fit inside the success story of the gospel tab. That does not fit inside my narrative of ministry success. Like if I'm looking to these people to make me look successful, I pick the wrong people. You know what I mean? And yet I've been able to see God's mercy. And I want to live my life seeing his mercy. There's been days when I feel like that whole thing has been a failure. 
I'm like, what was that all about? But in these more recent years, God's been saying like, it's not a failure. You prayed and I did answer. You pressed in and I did give a harvest. You asked for the lights to go on, the lights did go on. And it's not about selling the brand of the gospel tab. It doesn't matter if they ever fit into this or into your narrative for ministry success. I did answer. I am the God who spoke into the darkness and created light. So here's the call then today, and we are going to create just some space for prayer. If you are feeling the compassion of God even right now, and there's something in you that's like, I want, I want more of that, then I, I want you to come and pray. I'm going to dismiss you in a second. If, um, if there's something in you that's like, I don't feel compassion at all. I don't pray for unbelievers, but I want that. Then I want to pray that over you. If you have an unbeliever in mind that you just want to intercede for for a few minutes, then I want to create some space for that too, all right? Um, I'm going to dismiss you if you have to go, but if that's you at all, can you just come forward and gather around me here, and we're just going to pray together, all right? Um, so let's gather around, and we're just going to pray for our unbelieving friends, all right? Let's um, come close together. Thank you. Let's come up. Thank you.